Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, as we come around the Word today, I'm really excited to begin to pick up again the wisdom series that we started at the beginning of the year. And I just want to quickly recap because we did five parts at the beginning of the year and we spoke on how to receive the wisdom of God, how to gain a heart of wisdom, the benefits of divine wisdom because there's a difference and wisdom in relationships and then part five, how to make wise decisions. And I'm going to pick up again and give you the title in a moment, but I want to pray first and then we'll get right to it. So let's pray together right where you are today. Father, thank you for this opportunity to delve into your word and to find uncommon wisdom, divine wisdom that'll help us in every area of our lives. Speak through me today and speak to our hearts. Give us wisdom, insight, and understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Leonard Sweet wrote a very good book called Rings of Fire, and in it he talks about the information age. And he says this about information. In one single second, more information is produced than you could absorb for the whole of your life. One single second. And he says information doubles in the world about every 72 days. More than 2,000 new websites go online each day. Amazing. A minimum of 2,000 books are published worldwide each day. And 41,000 updates are posted every second. He says all this available information is taking its toll on the human psyche and spirit. Two billion people are allegedly active on Facebook at least once a month. You know, we're living in the information age, but there's still high levels of ignorance. Isn't that sad? We have access to so much information and yet we are still living with so little wisdom. And you know, let me remind you today that there are three kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom that is down there, the demonic wisdom from the pit, from Satan. Then on this level, that which is purely human, the human wisdom, and then at the top level, from where God sees and what the Bible speaks of, is divine wisdom. And you know what? People have removed divine wisdom. And so you say, well, that's okay. We've just got human wisdom and we can make it. No, no. Human wisdom is being influenced today by demonic wisdom. And that's why we're in such great danger because human beings are not just thinking along human lines. We actually don't realize we're being influenced by the demonic. And there's so many false beliefs about life about work, about business, about marriage, about sex, that we desperately need God's wisdom in our lives. And you know, so many people think that if you go and study and you get a degree or you are you educated, that is enough. Now you need knowledge, but you also need wisdom and it's much more than intellect. Thomas Sowell, the social commentator in his book, Intellectuals and Society, says this. He says, intellect is not wisdom. Some of the biggest cases of mistaken identity are among intellectuals who have trouble remembering that they are not God. Because when you start to live on a purely human level, you start to think you know better than God. And there's so much ignorance around, even on university campuses. I watched a short video the other day 
of a man who went to the University of California and began to interview people about general history. And their level of ignorance was quite staggering. He had pictures of different people that are famous in history and today. So for instance, he had Donald Trump, he had President Obama, but then he also had Hitler and he had Stalin and he had Jesus. And then he said to the various students that came to the table, he said, put these in order of importance. One woman put the picture of Jesus as least important because this is what she said, he's done nothing for us at all. Then they asked someone else, you put Stalin as less significant than Donald Trump. And he, he says, well, I didn't know who Stalin was. Stalin killed 85 million people, but they think Donald Trump is worse. Someone even said Donald Trump is worse than Hitler. So people don't really know their history and there are extremely high levels of ignorance. We not only need some knowledge in this information age, but we need the wisdom of God because we're trying to decide on very, very important matters. We've got very high levels of ignorance in South Africa. People don't really know what it takes to advance your life, what it takes to remove remove poverty, what it takes to remove gender violence. We're, we're, we're basing it on the wrong kind of premise. And we really, really need to get our beliefs right. People feel they're, they're highly informed, but really it's we're informed with ignorance. Thomas Sowell, again, the social theorist who's now 90 years old, says some people imagine that they are well informed because they have memorized a whole galaxy of trendy dogmas and fashionable attitudes. You see, in our world today, we believe we can eradicate sin and poverty just by campaigns and protests and social media hashtags, but we need God's wisdom because God's wisdom is what's built our world. And if we get the wrong premise for sin and human behavior and sociology, we will never have the wisdom to fix up our world. And what's happening today is we're tearing down God's wisdom. It's no longer respected, but God's wisdom still works, especially in life and in business. Notice here in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 5, and I'll get to the title in a moment, but I just want to build a case here for wisdom. Moses says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You see, when we follow God's ways and God's laws and God's principles, people around us should be looking at us and saying, hey, you're really wise. But today they're saying, hey, you're so stupid. Surely you don't believe that stuff. And we have to go against the grain and we have to swim upstream if we want to have successful families, businesses, nation, and churches. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us where wisdom comes from. And Paul prays for wisdom for the Colossians. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. You see, the Spirit gives wisdom by activating the word, but people are tearing down God's wisdom today and saying we no longer need it as if we've got this wisdom and why the heck is it there and let's get rid of it right away. G.K. Chesterton, in speaking about people who just want to tear down previous uh, things that established our lives and our world, said this. He said, if you don't see the use of that wall, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, 
I may allow you to destroy it. People no longer are thinking through the wisdom of God, and we're just wanting to remove everything, establish a new set of principles and premises for finance, business, economics, sex, family, and we think we've got a better way, but our world was brought here through the Judeo-Christian ethic and the wisdom that comes from God. We cannot replace God with conventional and human wisdom. So today I want to take up the important topic and I want to deal with wisdom for work and business because people are really battling at the moment and we need to have God's wisdom when we deal with work and business. In fact, if you're a working person, you're in business because you're actually selling your labor to an employer. And so we need to realize that God has a way of viewing work and business that is completely contrary to the way the world views it. And I want to give you five keys today, wisdom for work and business. The first one is extremely important. Understand God's goal of work and business. We need to get our minds into what God thinks of work and business, not what the world is telling us. Today they say it's a necessary evil. Socialism speaks of work and business as though it's something you do to make someone else rich. And if you earn a low wage, that's dreadful. You no longer have gratitude that you're employed and that you can actually improve your life, but actually you're a moaning, groaning, oppressed person because if you have to go and work for people who get much more money than you. Look at your boss's car. Look at what they earn. And so there's this whole thing of the poor worker rather than, gee, I've got a job. I'm grateful. And what is God's plan for this? Because you know the worker that Marxism talks about. Marx wrote about the poor worker, but he never worked a day in his life. He sat in a library writing information about work while he never worked, while someone who was rich, financed him so that he could write. And so we have these ideologies that don't even come out of the real world, let alone out of the Bible. So what does God say about work and business? It's more than just earning money. It's more than a wage. It's a destiny. It's a purpose that God has in mind. And it's a permanent feature of mankind before the fall of Adam and Eve, before sin entered the world, and it will be continuing into the book of Revelation, chapter 22, where the new heavens and the new earth are brought into being, we will work with God and reign alongside him. So work is extremely important. In fact, if you study the Bible, retirement is never mentioned in the Bible. That's why a lot of people who retire and they think they're going to live this wonderful life invariably end up sick because they have lost their purpose for living. Now, rest and slowing down as you age is a good thing, but we must understand the goals of work. So let me give you the four goals for work or the reason or the purpose for work today. The first reason is abundance. The second reason is order. The third reason is beauty. And the fourth reason is to glorify God. So we go to work to create abundance. If we're working for someone and we're not earning the abundance yet, we need to give it time because we're all busy in the process of making abundance. And that abundance builds the world, feeds your family, creates a prosperous nation, and there are different levels. Our first goal in life is to take seeds, sow it, put our labor into a particular manufacturing or services, and then see abundance. But today we're being told, no, 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 that's not good. Abundance is a bad thing. It's an evil thing. And then we need to bring order. 
through our work. We're meant to create order. And when you work, you bring order to society. You create roads, we build houses, we build buildings, and it brings divine order. Air conditioning, sanitation. Then there's beauty. People who are artists, people who create beautiful things, beautiful spaces. That's, that's not called not real work. They build beauty and God wants us to make the world more beautiful because that's where we express the creative image of God. And so we need to work and do things. And when you do that, you bring beauty, you bring order, you bring abundance. You know, way back in August 1945, the atom bomb was dropped on the little island of Hiroshima. It was a 4,000 degree atom bomb that basically killed 80,000 people instantly and 140,000 by the end of that year. The city was completely devastated. It was left in absolute ruins. 90% of the 76,000 buildings in that city were completely obliterated. The rest were set on fire and people were actually vaporized. They just disappeared. 40% of the usable land that was left was reduced to ashes. And so this city was absolutely devastated. The mayor and 1,000 people who worked for the municipality, they all died. Only 80 people came back to work after that explosion. But historians have recorded that within days, services were resumed, volunteers pitched up, and people began to immediately start working rather than let the devastation of that blast stop them from their work. They understood they needed to create abundance, they needed to bring beauty, they needed to bring order, and so they began to work hard. And um, history records that the lights came on just a few days after the blast. 30% of the homes were fire damaged, and had no electricity, but the people began to build those homes. Uh, four days after the bombing, the water pumps were switched on again. And the telephone employees, who, most of whom were killed, they put new people in place. And within a few months, the telephone system was working again and everything was running. By 1958, that's just a little bit more than 10 years later, the entire place was restored and the population of 440,000 that was originally there was brought back. If you go to Hiroshima today, you'll see the city is completely rebuilt and it's quite marvelous what work has done. It was just work. There wasn't aid and resources, there was work that took place. And the mayor of Hiroshima, Kazuma Matsu said this. He said, humans destroyed Hiroshima, but humans also rebuilt it. And that's the power of work. God's put us on the planet, not just to exist, but to work. And you'll see nations where people don't have that work ethic, where they don't want to beautify and bring abundance. Look at the previous Soviet Union. Look at places like Venezuela. Look at places like Cuba. Terrible degradation because they, they, they've replaced systems of abundance with just sitting around and sharing everything out, but there's not a work ethic, and we really need that in South Africa. You see, human beings are very different to animals. Animals just exist. They just sit around, they laze around, they lie on the grass, they eat, they drink water, and they procreate. And some human beings believe that that's what life is about. But we're distinctly different, we've got a purpose. And then, you know, number four, we've got to glorify God. So, so we create abundance, we must beautify, we must bring order, but then we must glorify God. Even Jesus worked, and in John chapter 17, he says this to his father. He says, I've shown your glory on earth. I've finished the work you gave me to do. 
You see, workup lifts people, it brings abundance, it helps us look after our families, and it helps us grow our lives and go from one level to the next and improve our world. And it's sad today that work is seen as something unnecessary, that people just feel we must stop striving and, and improving our world and we must just redistribute. Thomas Sowell says in his book, The Quest for Cosmic Justice, he says envy was once considered to be one of the seven deadly sins before it became one of the most admired virtues under its new name, social justice. He says, in an age of artificial intelligence, too many of our schools and colleges are producing artificial stupidity. Too much of what is called education is little more than expensive isolation from reality. We've tried to remove God's wisdom. We've said that work is bad. We just want to take money and redistribute it. But we need to all work from the lowest, simplest jobs there are to the highest because that brings order, it improves, and it's God's plan. So be a Christian and go to work, give your best, and uplift your life and uplift your nation. There are no shortcuts to this. Number two, the second thing about having wisdom for work and business, don't complain about the conditions, work them. Most people go to work and complain and, 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 and hate the system. The system is bad. But I love what Scott Peck says in his best-selling book, The Road Less Traveled. In fact, the book opens with three simple words, and you know it starts with, life is difficult. And most people think life in some ways is easy for some people and it's more difficult for others. Well, at a certain social level, but for everybody, life is difficult. Living on the planet with the fall, there is not a natural propensity for prosperity. We have to work to, to create prosperity. And, and life is difficult. I'll tell you what, life is more difficult when you don't have wisdom. But when you've got God's wisdom, you can begin to build a life. And instead of complaining about the system, you can work it and build it. I read a very good book called uh, Endangered Gospel by John Nugent. And uh, he, I want to quote him here. He says, if you study the curse of the soil, that's why hard work and toil are the only way to yield prosperity. And he says, if you read Genesis, you'll see God cursed the soil. That's why going to work is hard. So we shouldn't complain. Work it. Do something with it. And he says, God says, that the earth will not naturally give us prosperity. It has to be cultivated. Poverty is what naturally occurs if you accept the curse and complain about it. But if we work, then prosperity will occur. See, prosperity is not luck. It's not just advantage or a spiritual formula that you can quote or giving in services. No, no, no. If we work against that pull down, that's pulling against prosperity. You work against that and you don't complain. You can bring prosperity. But the world today has got other ideas. It doesn't understand God's wisdom. Ben Shapiro wrote a book called The Right Side of History. And in the book, he talks about how the Judeo-Christian ethic has built the world we live in today, the prosperous world we live in. And he says here that this is what people are saying about life today. He says they've argued that we are nothing more than victims of the systems into which we are born. We are inescapably earthbound. There's political benefit to this kind of demagoguery. It allows politicians to proclaim themselves materialist messiahs prepared to save us from uncaring fate. 
You see, this is the problem. We're looking for a system that politicians can bring in where we can share everything and we don't have to have it so hard because the system is wrong. No, no, no. God's designed the world. It's living under the fall and we have to work against it if we want to bring about prosperity. Let me remind you today that Jesus was a working man and he worked, Bible says, as a carpenter. So did the disciples work before he called them. And Jesus never complains about work. He doesn't see it as an unnecessary evil. In fact, Jesus worked until the age of 30, a very unlikely thing to do if you're going to be the Messiah who really is going to save the planet and going to bring a, a new dispensation about. Jesus worked because work is good for you. It develops you and it gives you an understanding of the real world. People who've never worked have a weird idea about the world. And Jesus often spoke about work, business, management, profits, wages, income, expenditure, sowing, reaping, development. He spoke about all these things because he was once a working man and people even recognized him as a working man. In fact, when he started his ministry, they didn't respect him as a prophet or a teacher. They understood him as a working class person. In fact, I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 13. When Jesus came to his hometown, it says he began teaching the people in their synagogues and they were amazed. Now look at their comment. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Notice the two things. Where did he get, how does he know this? And then where did he get the power to work miracles? And it goes on to say they asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So, you know, I believe Jesus got the wisdom from being in business and work. He never complained. He worked the system. He understood what he needed to do by the divine power of God. And then he got the anointing of God to work miracles and to perform his ministry. So he had wisdom and he had the anointing and that's what we need in life if we're going to live a successful life. As Christians, we can't just spend time in church thinking that if we just put money in the offering, we're going to prosper. No, there's much more to it. We have to work and not complain about the system. There's a wonderful book called Living into the Life of Jesus by Klaus Isler. And he talks a lot about character development in the book. And he looks at Jesus' life. And one of the things Klaus Isler says is, Jesus worked because God was busy developing character in him. And he says, you know, and if you realize, Jesus had a secular job. And he says, Jesus worked. And he was known as the carpenter. But the word carpenter in the Greek, according to Tyndale's Bible, is the word tecton, which actually they say is much more than someone who works with wood. It's actually a builder. The word tecton is builder. And a builder works with all kinds of materials, stone, wood, various kinds of materials, and creates something. And that's what Jesus did. And he says that... Um, Jesus spent 18 years as a builder. That's six times longer than his ministry. And he says he would have been apprenticed to his father at 12 years old and would have learned how to work. And so work is not a negative thing. It's not a bad thing. And, and Jesus, you, you never hear Jesus complaining. I don't think you can imagine Jesus fooling around at work and throwing chisels around. He worked and he developed his life and that gave him wisdom so that when he stepped into his ministry, he could relate to people because he had been a working 
man. And he says in his book that Jesus ran literally what we would call today a small business. And he was part of what they call the middle class of that day. So working your way up and having your own business and being part of the middle class is not evil. It's not, it's not a system that's oppressing people. It's actually elevating people. If we go on to read Professor Daryl Bock from the Dallas Seminary, who writes about the early church and who writes about the disciples, he said this. He said, fishing was a major industry in Galilee. James and John even had hired men working for them. Mark chapter 1, you can read that. And so they were employers, and they worked, and they developed a business. And he says it shows that they were among the closest thing to a middle class that existed at that time. So it's not wrong to work. We shouldn't complain about it and see it as an evil thing. We should give it our best and work, work the system. And uh, the disciples were, were capitalists, if you like. They, they, they fished. Jesus even helped them fish. He showed them where there were lots of fish. He didn't then say to them, you need to donate the fish. They sold it. He supported what they did. And uh, people are so quick to blame the systems of the world. But these are biblical systems that the scriptures speak about that have built our world into the wonderful place that it mostly is today. And Jesus and his disciples were business people. You know, the late Jim Rohn, the uh, business teacher, said this. He said, don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems. Wish for more skills. Don't wish for less challenges. Wish for more wisdom. You see, we shouldn't complain. We should take our lives and make something of them. And when you look at the world around you, you'll see many people who have been successful have done that. They haven't complained. They've gone and they've made something of their lives. Many of you would have used the WhatsApp app on your phone. Well, a man by the name of Jan Kaum recently sold WhatsApp, him and two partners sold it for $19 billion to Facebook. And when you go back and you study this man's life, fascinating, he actually took the contract that they signed, that 19 billion contract, they went across the railway tracks to a disused building and they signed the contract there. And the reason they signed the contract there is because Jan Kaum at one time used to go and stand in line at that building and collect food stamps so that he could get food. And when you track back his upbringing, he came from uh, Kiev. And he grew up there, a very ordinary family. In fact, they didn't earn much. And his mother brought him to America. And uh, she uh, lived on government assistance. She even brought notepads and books so they wouldn't have to uh, pay for school supplies when they came to America. They moved into a two-bedroom department. And they lived off government assistance. And eventually his mother got cancer. And then he lived off that support, the medical support. Finally, his mom passed away. But he did all sorts of odd jobs. And uh, by 18, he had taught himself to use a computer. He had gone to the second-hand bookshops and bought books and studied computer science and read. And uh, they say he even took the books back after he'd finished using them and sold them back to the shop. He eventually got himself enrolled into the San Jose University. And uh, he moonlighted with Ernst, Ernst and Young at night in order to pay the fees. And it's there that he met, met a man called Brian Acton from Yahoo, who became a friend of his way back in 1997. Well, together they began to develop and work at this company until eventually they left Yahoo and they started WhatsApp in 2007. And they developed WhatsApp into the booming, booming uh, app that it is today and sold it for $19 billion. Just to say, 
330 billion rand, but he was an immigrant from Kiev in the Ukraine from a very poor family with a very bad start. You see, he didn't complain. He went and he worked the system and he plugged himself in and got busy making something of his life. Number three, the third bit of wisdom we need today for work and business is this. Wealth and assets are created, not donated. There's a saying, life doesn't give you what you want. It gives you what you work for. And across the world, there's a massive drive today for us to redistribute and donate rather than create. And wealth and assets are never donated. You'll never find wealth donated unless you inherit it. It's never donated by governments. Wealth and assets are always created. And we need to understand there's this idea that we can create a fictitious system that can redistribute wealth. But wealth is only created through work and wisdom. And you can see in any place in the world where they've torn down a wealth creation system and they've put another distribution system in. Take, for instance, Cuba. They tore down a very successful wealth creation system and they've put in a poverty creation system and the entire place is crumbling. It just doesn't work anywhere. The Bible teaches us that we need to create wealth and assets not donate them unless we are dealing with extremely poor, impoverished people who have no way or no other means or disabled people. Even there, I'll come to it later. We need to know how to deal with these things. And the reason these systems are brought in is because people want to try something different to the Bible. And generally, they have atheistic roots. They don't have biblical roots. And so it's important for us today to find ways where we can create abundance because abundance is always created through the Judeo-Christian work ethic. No other way. And we find creative ways because of the wisdom of God. Notice Proverbs 8 and verse 12 in the authorized English version. Speaks about creativity. It says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. How interesting is that? You see, God has put wisdom in us so that we come up with inventions and creativity. And if we want something, we create it. And I believe South Africans are today waiting, like many places in the world, for someone to find the wealth to donate so that the standard of living can be improved. And that's not God's plan. The only way you can build a country is through work. The only way they rebuilt Europe after the Second World War was through work. The only way they built Hiroshima was through work, and we're in exactly the same position today where we have to create abundance. And people say, well, you don't understand what it's like to work for big companies. You know, they make so much money and it's unreasonable. Well, you need to understand something. When you work for someone else, you still benefit. Jacob worked for Laban, and while he worked for him, Laban made a massive amount of money and prospered out of Jacob. But when we read the Bible, we see that in the end, Jacob prospered too. Because when you work and you're creative, you eventually prosper as well. And when Jacob eventually left his father-in-law, Laban, he was incredibly prosperous. So don't see it as a negative thing. Give your best and let God bless your life because it's what he has ordained. I read an interesting book called The Inevitable, and it's about the 12 te technological trends that are shaping our future. 
As technology comes out, our future is being changed. And Kevin Kelly says in his book that there are these new technologies that are going to spring up and they're going to create wealth for some people, incredible wealth because of their brilliance, but it's going to create increased inequality. Well, just like the guys who got together and developed the WhatsApp app, they ended up with 19 billion. Talk about inequality. It's because of their brilliance, their ingenuity, their creativity. They earned that amount of money. And he says you, you, these people will be criticized by ignorant people, but we've got to realize that development is not an evil thing. And I want to quote him here. He says, this made me realize that inequality is not a bad thing per se. It is the product of a lack of knowledge and wisdom. Those who have more knowledge and wisdom will end up with more money. It's like a simple logical thing. Is that wrong? Unfair, he asks. Everyone should strive to know more, and God's word gives it for free. Loans, business, making profits, hard work, fairness, honesty in business, and integrity. You see, we're now to uplift South Africa. We need some integrity. We need some honesty, starting with our politicians, right through to business people. It's not, it's not, if you run a business, it doesn't mean you're greedy automatically. You can have no money and be greedy. We need integrity and honesty and fairness, and we need to study the scriptures. Then people will excel. And money has to be created. Wealth has to be created. Assets are created, never donated. Thomas Sowell said this when people are moaning and complaining about others advancing and others not getting ahead. He says, I'm so old that I can remember when other people's achievements were considered to be an inspiration rather than a grievance. We need to get back to a biblical understanding of work and business. You see, most people believe that the state is responsible for them and for their benefits and their wealth, when in fact it was never ever God's idea. God's idea was that the family took responsibility for its members even its older members. You know, a state pension is actually not biblical. The family is meant to take care of their children and their elderly and meant to be a unit. But we have, we've disregarded the family. We've broken up the family. We don't believe in family. We just get together and have children and then walk away. And then the government must provide benefits and provide a, 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 some kind of an allowance so that we can manage. And it all sounds so wonderful, but actually it's gone away from God's design. And we've turned the state into our mother and father when it was never, ever intended to be. And the state does not care about you. The state hasn't got a heart for you. It's just the nature of it. It's impersonal. In fact, just this week I was reading, a woman wanted a abridged birth certificate from the Department of Home Affairs. And so she went to them and asked for it. And after waiting and waiting and waiting, she eventually went to the high court and got an interdict so that she could get that abridged birth certificate. Well, eight months after the high court said she needs to get it, she then had to appeal to the minister. And then finally, she got the birth certificate. That's how the state works. You'll never build wealth like that, and we shouldn't expect it. Let me take you back to the Bible and what it says about how we should look after our own and how we should look after our wealth and create it for our family. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Christians look after their homes and they create wealth and they look after their own families and they don't look to government. 
Taxes should be spent on safety and security and infrastructure, not your personal needs, not providing you with a house. That is actually not biblical. It's biblical for you to work and to create and to come up with ideas and to become a person that is innovative, not rely on politicians. The late Don Freeman, who was an artist and an author of some 50 books, made this powerful statement. He said, the politician is incapable of making the world better. We need to stop looking to them to do so. Everything that's ever made the world a better place has come from inventors, engineers, scientists, teachers, artists, builders, philosophers, and healers, and people that choose love over hate. Stop looking to the wrong source. Realize what God has intended for work. Stop complaining about the system and begin to give your best and begin to not look for donations, but rather be a creator. And there's so many wonderful ideas that are emerging today. I mean, ideas even that we could use in South Africa. I was looking at the homeowner magazine and on Netflix and you see these new homes that are coming called tiny houses. It's become a trend across the world because homes are so expensive. And people can build these houses for around 270,000 rand, but they can start with just a base, just the trailer. You can buy that and, and park it somewhere. And then you can buy the materials and you can build the shell. Then when the shell is built, you can insulate it. And then when, that, when it's insulated, you can equip it. And there's even one that's been built in the cradle of humankind called Pod Idladla. And it's become such a wonderful example of what's possible if people just took responsibility for creating their own instead Instead of waiting for something to come, you know, to wait for a house to come is, is going to take a lifetime. It would be better to start small and be creative and, uh, and do something. You could end up with a house that you could move anywhere and it's green, it's efficient, it's uh, your own and it doesn't cost a lot and doesn't take up a lot of space. We need to create instead of looking to donate. Well, that's all I've got time for today. And our time runs out so quickly. We'll pick up again next week. I hope you've been stimulated today to think biblically about how to go to work and how to do business because it's God's idea. We shouldn't complain. We shouldn't expect donations. We should work and we can trust God that prosperity can be ours. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 